Colonial virus is why I can't live. Colonial virus is why I can't breathe. Colonial virus, yo, that thing gotta go. We don't wanna have to deal with this virus no more. Down with the colonial virus. 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 Uhuru! Welcome to the People's War Radio Show. I'm Dr. Matsumela Odom. And I'm Awambi Tangu. Uhuru means freedom in Swahili, and freedom is on our minds 24-7. Today's episode is entitled Black Power and the Struggle Against Gentrification. Our guests today are two St. Louis residents, Tichara Masimba of the Black Power Blueprint and Kalambayi Andanet, president of the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement. The root word for gentrification is gentry stemming from the European landowning class. First used in the 1960s, the term gentrification defined the process in which middle-class communities overran working-class areas. Processes of urban removal of African communities in the U.S. go back much farther than 1960s. In 1855, the African community of Seneca Village in Manhattan, New York, was raised for the construction of Central Park. Overt acts of colonial violence have also removed African communities, such as with the 1921 Tulsa Black Wall Street Massacre and the destruction of the thriving African community of Rosewood, Florida. Gentrification and urban removal schemes are part of the counterinsurgency waged against African colonies since the military defeat of the African Revolution of the 1960s. African communities have been historically underdeveloped, In post-World War II North America, urban removal schemes capitalized on the underdevelopment of African communities. In Nova Scotia, the historic community of Africville was raised, and Africans were given measly compensation of $500 and forcibly relocated. The African community in Philadelphia's 7th Ward was destroyed by the construction of the freeway in the city's central business district. The historic African community of South St. Petersburg, Florida was destroyed to build the Tropicana Field Sport Complex. A similar displacement of African and oppressed people is underway in Inglewood, California. In North St. Louis, Missouri, Africans are organizing to reverse gentrification and the underdevelopment of the African community. In a place where 30% of the African population lives off $5 a day, a group has made major strides to build community and economic prosperity. The Black Power Blueprint has placed redevelopment into the hands of the African working class. Our first guest is T'Chara Masimba. T'Chara is a longtime resident of St. Louis, Missouri. A veteran Black Power activist, T'Chara is the Economic Development Director for the Black Power Blueprint. T'Chara has led economic development programs in defense of the African working class, not at the expense of the African working class. He's overseen the development of the Uhura House in Aquaba Hall, a community garden and amphitheater, as well as public recreation spaces in the African community of North St. Louis, in places where abandoned buildings had been left by white power to rot. We're also joined by Kalambayi and Annette. Kalambayi is also a lifelong resident of North St. Louis. Kalambayi's name means brave and never give up. A resident of Ferguson in 2014, Kalambayi was politically activated by the state murder 
of Mike Brown and by the African resistance that followed. She quickly rose to the position of international president of the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement, organizing the African working class on the principle that self-determination is the highest form of democracy. As president of the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement, Kalambayi oversees the Africans' Charge Genocide Campaign, the Africans' Reparations Claim, and the Black Power Matters Campaign. Kalambayi has also developed a Black Power clothing brand, Uzi Custom Apparel, a thread of freedom. In St. Louis, Kalambayi fights against police terror, gentrification, and colonial violence. Welcome to Chara and Kalambayi. Thank you. T'Chara, what's life like for African people today in North St. Louis? The African community in St. Louis has a very rich and vibrant history of uh, culture, music, resistance, um, and, you know, just strong family. And uh, that's still a fact in North St. Louis. You know, we contrast that reality to the economic reality uh, where African People, as was stated earlier, nearly 30% of the population is living on $5 a day, and uh, which is mostly the African community of North St. Louis. So, um, you know, we are really hit with these really stark uh, conditions of uh, economic starvation and uh, a quarantine has been placed on the African community. There, up until recently, at least there were, have been at least 25,000 or so vacant and abandoned buildings in North St. Louis. And um, so m- much of it, uh, despite the uh, beauty and vitality and integrity of the community, uh, much of it looks like a war zone. And um, it has just been the uh, victim of exploitation by uh, a white ruling class and all other sectors of society that sit not only on top of the black community, but specifically the working class black community. This is uh, what precipitated the work that I do in the Black Power Blueprint. Um, So, you know, what we say is that uh, we want to bring the black community of St. Louis back. We say black is back. Uh, We want to revitalize the economy of our community. We want grocery stores. We want healthy food. We want vibrant businesses, and we want this uh, to be owned and controlled by the people. Um, And we also want to see a flourishing revitalization of our culture and cultural life in the African community. T'Chara, what is the Del Mar Divide, and how is that related to the historic underdevelopment of the African community you're talking about in St. Louis? Yeah, this, uh, you know, the underdevelopment is really uh, quite you know, to put it quite plainly, it's uh, exploitation and, and economic and political domination uh, at the hands of a white ruling class, um, as well as, you know, so a small sector of uh, the African population itself, which participates in the ongoing uh, oppression and exploitation of African people. So the Delmore Divide um, is something that uh, in name is specific to St. Louis, but it's something that you see all over the world wherever you see African people. Um, the Delmar is a, is a street, it's called Delmar Boulevard. On one side of the street, you see high rise buildings, you see cafes, uh, you see vibrant businesses, um, you see all kinds of uh, activities, uh, big, large, beautiful, well-kept, highly funded parks. 
Um, and then right on the other side of Delmore, immediately, um, you're looking from one side of the street to the next, you see vacant and abandoned buildings. You see uh, violence uh, that is a result of uh, having no economy. Um, and you see these nearly 25,000 or so vacant and abandoned buildings concentrated on uh, the north side of Delmar Boulevard. So people call it the Delmar Divide, but the fact is it is a colonial divide. It is a divide that results from a majority white community that uh, finds a thousand different ways to extract money, resources, a surplus value of labor, culture, to extract everything produced by the African community from the African community and uh, finds a way to usher it over to the other side of Delmore. So for example, in and around St. Louis City and uh, County, uh, which is majority in places that are majority African, you have 90 or so munis separate municipalities. You could, uh, be you could drive down the street in a you know, two, three block uh, period, you can go from one municipality to the next. And it continues like that, uh, municipality after municipality. And these municipalities were created uh, by white people who wanted to break off from other municipalities or cities and have their own uh, little schools, their own uh, police stations, et cetera, so that they could sep separate themselves from the African community to maintain political and economic domination of the African community. And so many of these municipalities have even uh, become majority black. And, uh, and many of them even have black police forces, black people in political office, a uh, very small sector of the black community. Uh, but whether they have this small sector of black people in political office or whether it is, they are majority white, uh, they still uh, survive by extracting resources from the population. So we grew up knowing that if you drove through all of these different municipalities, the one thing that you had to do was to go to drive the speed limit, not one mile over the speed limit. You have to have your seatbelt on, uh, whatever. And if you, if, you did, if you couldn't afford to have, get car insurance or get uh, up-to-date plates, then you better not drive through these municipalities because they made a living off of pulling over, ticketing, arresting, fining, jailing, uh, and forcing poor black people to pay money uh, so that the bureaucracy of these different municipalities can survive and make money. Um, they had, they had, the, they had until recently these cameras, uh, stoplight cameras, which was another scheme to extract money from us. You know, so it happens in a thousand different ways in every uh, avenue possible. The white community and the small sector of the African community that we call the African petty bourgeoisie uh, lives at the expense of the vast majority of the poor, suffering uh, workers uh, throughout St. Louis. And this is true everywhere in the world. Columbaye, what have been the social effects of poverty on the ground for the African working class in North St. Louis? Uhuru. Um you know, the conditions in St. Louis and the poverty, it, the disparities are, you, you can't, you cannot come to St. Louis on the north side and not see them. Um, so, the you know, when you're talking about 30% of the people on the north side living off barely $5 a day, and this is a family of four, um, you know, that arise all kinds of contradictions. We're living in um, communities that don't have grocery stores, um, is impossible to get healthy foods. 
So we stuck with, you know, a bunch of liquor stores and um, corner stores in our community that are not owned by us, that don't have a stake in our community, um, that provide nothing but things that would cause you to have high blood pressure and all kind of diabetes and uh, et cetera. So those kind of contradictions uh, are in our community that we have, you know, elderly people that have no access to good food. Um, and so, uh, we have a community where it takes, I believe one time I have a heart condition. I think, I believe one time it took every bit of like 15 to 20 minutes to get a paramedic, you know, an ambulance, you know, to be dispatched to our community. Um, our community, um, have, you know, a high opioid, um, epidemic in our community, but we don't have access to, um, the drugs that can prevent from people from ODing um, is something that you know we have um, been engaged in making sure that we can get those kind of things to our people. But these are the things that we deal with. A very um, disheartening thing is poverty, and when we're talking about the the African community, um, we didn't do this to ourselves. But everything that's placed in our community is strategically there because they want it to be there or they don't want it to be there. And so um, we have, you know, poverty, we have drugs, we have crime, we have no food, and we have no no schools to send our kids to because it has been a whole push um, to shut down um, our schools in our own community and money has been, you know, given to um, schools outside of our community for our kids to go to. And then at those schools, um, our kids get um, labeled with all different kind of label um, learning disabilities and kicked out um, of these schools. And then where do they go? Because they shut down our schools to give money to um, other schools outside of our community. So these are just some of the contradictions um, that African people um, face every single day because of the poverty and the conditions that's placed on us every day. You know, so we're talking about the school system. We're talking about um, heavy police presence where we have a um, prosecutor and attorney that is under attack because she's indicting the police. That she had provided a list, long list of police that are police today, that are police in our community that cannot be trusted. That have been found dirty um, from putting drugs in our community, murdering Africans and getting away with it, etc. So you put all these things together and you have colonialism, a very um, great picture of what colonialism looked like in our everyday life. Um, T'Chara, um, one of the projects that's impacting the community in St. Louis is the National Geospatial Spice Agency. What is that? So the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency is an international spy agency whose mission is to perfect the use of surgical drone strikes uh, to bomb, murder, and otherwise uh, plot out the uh, topography, the land of oppressed peoples all over the planet, who uh, the U.S. government, along with other European colonial powers, uh, need uh, to take whose resources they need. Uh, for their survival. So it is an agency 
that has uh, recently taken a thousand or so acres of land right in North St. Louis so that they can plot this agency right here in our community. And I think is uh, we may not have the time to go into uh, all of this now, but uh, it is part of uh, a counterinsurgency effort that uh, has been uh, in place for decades to number one, drain the African community of any kinds of resources, except uh, the most basic resources uh, such as police, uh, which who are not, which is not a resource at all, uh, and trash pickup, which doesn't happen very often. But it was decided in the 1960s by the white ruling class uh, that African communities uh, had to be uh, forced to disperse away from the from being concentrated in urban centers to ensure that the people would not resist, you know, have the the capacity to uh, live in highly concentrated urban areas and therefore uh, could be able to wage a struggle uh, to overturn the, the conditions of oppression and exploitation. And so we've been drained of any kind of uh, economy for um, specifically for 60 or so years as part of counterinsurgency. And uh, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency then uh, would become as part of this plan, and many people know it as the Team 4 plan, but it preceded the Team 4 plan. Uh, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency would become uh, a federally funded military project that could come in uh, and then gobble up uh, the land uh, that becomes available when you push people out. And then they could create a whole economy, high-tech military economy, in place of the dispersed African economy that would attract primarily white people uh, with uh, high levels of uh, skill, uh, education, and uh, technology, military background. Uh, this was actually put forth by the RAND Corporation in a document uh, that was also uh, repeated in the Team 4 document that many people know about in St. Louis. So this uh, is agency is a diabolical agency. It actually began as a fortress uh, by the first uh, U.S. colonizers, Lewis and Clark, who came to this land, to this part of the country, murdered the indigenous people, uh, at the behest of Thomas Jefferson. And uh, they were military agents whose job it was to map out territory uh, so that the US military could then come in uh, and know how it, is they could, how it is they could defeat the indigenous people using enslaved Africans uh, in the process. And so this uh, fortress that it originated as eventually was moved. It became a mapping agency um, so hot air balloons were utilized to be able to go up in the air, to be able to see land, to map out land, and then photography developed. And you had this whole process through technology, um, you know, uh, satellite technology, where now you can send drones up in the air to map out land so that you can take land not only from people in the U.S., uh, this uh, this uh, colonial settler colony called the U.S., but you can also utilize it to map out uh, land and resources of people all over the planet. And you can see a stick of butter from uh, thousands of miles in the air using these uh, spy, this spy technology. And they can make surgical strikes on people to ensure that the US and Europe continues to dominate the entire planet. Uh, and I'll end this question by saying that uh, nearly 100 families uh, have been pushed out 
in North St. Louis to make way for this spy agency. And what will happen is property values will go up as a consequence of this whole military economy happening. African people will be further pushed out of our community. And then you have a few members of the African petty bourgeoisie here in St. Louis, elected officials who actually support the, the spy agency because it appears to, you know, gives them the cover of bringing some economic development, number one. And some are, e e are going so far as to support it so that they themselves and, you know, a small group of their friends can buy up property. Uh, here in North St. Louis, so that when the NGA comes in and property values go up, they themselves will benefit from rising property values. This is the African petty bourgeoisie. This is the white ruling class. This is uh, the social system that sits on top of the African working class and why the Black Power Blueprint must organize in communities, bring economic development, make political struggle to overturn this uh, foul social system that lives at the expense, that operates at the expense of African people all over the planet. You're listening to the People's World Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our show today is entitled Black Power and the Struggle Against Gentrification. Our guests today are two St. Louis residents, Tachara Masiba of Black Power Blueprint and Kolumbayi Andanet, international president of the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement. Tachara, you are the Economic Development Director of Black Power Blueprint. Can you explain to the listeners what the Black Power Blueprint is? So, yeah, we talk about the Delmar Divide and uh, how the majority white community uh, in St. Louis exists on the backs of uh, the black community here. We call it, we reference the Delmar Divide. Uh, so we call that colonialism is how we identify that. It's not racism, it is colonial domination. It's when you have a foreign, hostile, occupying, uh, state power that uh, lives at the economic expense of a whole people and must maintain political domination. That's the essence of this relationship. The U.S. is a settler colonial state. So the Black Power Blueprint is an anti-colonial economic development project designed to contend with the uh, you know capitalist economy that uh, bleeds North St. Louis and African people everywhere. So we've purchased uh, a number of different properties uh, we started with the renovate, the purchase of a building that had been vacant, we believe, for um, a decade, possibly two. Um, and we renovated that building. It was a 9,000 square foot building that was in horrible condition, except that it had a good basic foundation. And so 9,000 square feet, we renovated it. Uh, we have offices on the second and floor. Uh, third floor where community organizations can now have office space. On the first floor, we have a beautiful banquet hall and community center um, that families can have uh, bed weddings, baby showers, um, all kinds of events and where we hold weekly rallies to uh, help the community come to terms with the political climate in St. Louis uh, that, you know, that uh dominates us because we don't understand it and we don't see our stake in it. So that was the first project. Then we purchased two more uh, properties uh, and demolished the two buildings, I'm sorry, four more properties, uh, which were two lots and two buildings that could not be saved. We demolished those buildings and we created, built a beautiful outdoor market space with a beautiful stage, uh, a concrete pathway uh, with permeable pavers that soak up rainwater, uh, and it's good, 
good are good for the uh, sewer system. We have a beautiful garden that we named after Mr. Gary Brooks, who lives right next door to the garden. Um, and this will be an outdoor event space for uh, vendors to come and set up and uh, to be able to sell, um, engage in business so that they can then turn these, these uh, vending businesses into full-time businesses. And we will have a vibrant community. So we, we did that and uh, we moved down the street and we continue to organize people throughout this community, uh, throughout this block that we are, this corridor that we are developing. We bring them into the Black Power Blueprint. They sit on the steering committee and they become part of the uh, leadership team, decision, the decision-making body. Uh, so we moved down the street even more. We, we just demolished two buildings, which will uh, provide space for um, you know, health food retail space uh, and health products uh, businesses with retail space so that we can not only continue to provide business opportunities for people, but so that we can have uh, you know, uh, access to healthy food along with the garden that we have. We've also demolished a building that will become a basketball court. We'll put a basketball court in there. Uh, next to that, we have uh, a fourplex that we renovated which will be housing for people getting home, for Africans getting home from prison. And then uh, we've also uh, purchased a 4,500, 4,000 or so square foot building that will be a commercial kitchen um, and a bakery cafe. And it'll also have a, a workforce program where those Africans who are living in the housing that I just identified will be able to get culinary skills in this commercial kitchen slash bakery cafe. So this is the Black Power Blueprint. It is transforming North St. Louis. And what makes it uh, so unique is that it is not uh, just, uh, uh, you know, we're not just buying up some properties, thinking that we can transform uh, these conditions by simply buying a few properties, but we are organizing the community uh, and actual you know, neighborhoods, organizing the people to become part of this project. And we are also engaging in political struggle to challenge the uh, status quo, the existing setup, political setup that, uh, you know, the people have been victimized by for decades. And we're saying that people cannot continue to do business as usual. The Black Power Blueprint, uh, we are coming to shake things up and to fight for the interests of the African working class. Columbine, you were born and raised in St. Louis. What has the Black Power Blueprints projects meant for the embetterment of North St. Louis? Yeah, you know, I just want to say that, um, you know, EPDOM uh, has been supported, you know, has been a part of the Black Power Blueprint from the very beginning. You know, like from the very beginning, we knew that this project was important and the International People Democratic Uhuru Movement is part of the Uhuru Movement as our mass organization to win African people into political life. And that's our mission. And that's not just like, you know, bring them back into political life. What do they look like? Well, it looks like them participating in the Black Power Blueprint, you know, hands on deck, you know what I'm saying? Like actually concrete work, not like just a talk fest, but it's not what we say is what we do. So like uh, the Black Power Blueprint is giving confidence back to people who lost confidence in their self and their community um, because of the disparities that you see every day. And because of being pushed out of political life, um, as Chairman Amali Yeshitela would say, um, we've seen an attack on the Black Power movement in the 60s. And then we had generation after generation 
that had been raised up with no will or nobody to say or teach what it looked like to fight for black power. And we have like these puppet leaders that have been, um, you know, pushed up because of the attack on the 60s. So Epidem um, participate in the Black Power Blueprint because of the real concrete work that it has. So like, you know, when we um, even when we purchased the um, property um, at 4101 uh, West Florissant, Epidem participated and the community participated. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's nothing that has been done to the community that the community have not participated. And I think that's really important because that's part of the blueprint. You know what I'm saying? The blueprint is getting the community involved. You know, um, that so much of our life, things just happen to us. You know, a store just put there. Not No one's asking us what we want in our community, but the Black Power Blueprint, um, whole strategy and everything about it has been a community project where the community have been able to come into a building with no floor, and we had our meetings. We had our um, International People Democratic meetings in a building with no floor, with a table there, and we met. And we um, you know, worked with um, Comrade Chachara that had work days where we had like literally work days where we cleaned up the building and we got to paint. And every time we would come in, it was a whole into you process, letting the community know that we are into you. You know what I'm saying? Um, this project belongs to you. So that was really important um, for us to do that. It, you know, um, we could have just raised the money and then just had some contractors come in and fix it up. But we knew that the community had to be able to be brought back into political life. And one of the things that the Black Power Blueprint and everything that your charge just laid out of the, just the different phases, what you hear inside of each phase is how we are as Black people, how are we as African people going to feed, clothe, and house ourselves? You know, um, as we come back into political life and been shoved out, you know what I'm saying, to see our own stake, you know what I'm saying, to be able to say no more people going to continue to just do stuff to me, but I'm actually going to have self-determination. So you, we, we're practicing, we bringing the people back into political life, bringing them back into a situation where they bring their genius into this project. You know what I'm saying? They sit on the board, they sit, they participate. Um, the rallies that we have every Sunday, you know, um, you know, we have these rallies. Um, and even when we're talking about the NGA, these are struggles that we have been engaged in and bring urging the people back into political life. Um, you know, in St. Louis, um, you know, August 9th, the whole world shook. But what what has to be said that it was really different than other rebellions that we've seen, like um, the Battle of St. Pete, where you had you know, the Uhuru movement on the grounds before then, they had in the political analysis. And you can see like what came out of that in um, and what the people were um, demanding different. And so we had the the Ferguson rebellion. Um, and then out of that, we have the Black Power Blueprint that addressed what the people demands were, you know what I'm saying? Not more body cameras, but we want to be able to have a fruitful life and a, fu a future for our kids. And we want to have self-determination. You know, that's what the struggle was about. That's why people took to the street is because we seen a whole social system. We At that time, we just knew that the police were against us. And those stores in Ferguson were not supportive of us. So who cares if they burn down? So, you know, like this whole uh, Black Power Blueprint has meant uh, it has been life changing for myself and so many people um, in the community that have been 
ushered back into political life. And I think the thing that makes the Black Power Blueprint, it, it's a lot of things that make it so significant, but it allowed people to be able to go beyond just saying fist up, fight back. But, you know, painting those walls was fighting back, you know, coming to the community garden, um, selling um, goods amongst ourselves is fighting back, you know, organizing around, helping the community know that this basketball court is going to be safe for our community. It's going to be something that is going to uplift our community and getting them involved in understanding why, you know, that basketball court um, is transforming the lives of, you know, our whole community and the African working class is leading this and it's for the African working class to be able to get involved. You know, um, one, um, one community um, person, she said, she's a minister, Minister Helen. She said in the interview, she said that, you know, growing up and like looking around and seeing these Kadem buildings, it's, it's depressing. You know what I'm saying? It's walking down the street, you know, walking your kids and all you see is Kadem building, Kadem building, Kadem building. And the Black Power Blueprint is bringing beauty back to the north side. And that is no small thing. Um, you can see um, a future for yourself through the beauty of the Black Power Blueprint. T'Challa, August 13th was the 100th anniversary of the convention of Marcus Garvey's Universal Negro Improvement Association at Madison Square Garden, where over 20,000 international delegates voted to adopt the red, black, and green flag as the flag of the African nation. Garvey fought for independence and economic self-determination for African people everywhere. Do you see the Black Power Blueprint as a realization of Marcus Garvey's legacy and vision? Yeah, absolutely. And we can uh, say that in very concrete uh, terms in, in a number of ways. There was a uh, recently um, a brother that was uh, organized by Columbia and Danette, who's on this, the call now. Um, who you know said that I grew up in this community, meaning the community where the Black Power Blueprint is concentrated. He said I grew up, you know, as a gang member with one flag, and all the people I grew up with, we had a flag. And he said if I had grown up uh, seeing that red, black, and green flag, fifty foot tall flagpole with twenty five by fifteen foot red, black, black, and green flag, if I had grown seen that growing up. Um, I would have been able to put the flag, the other flag down, uh, meaning the red or the blue flag. And, uh, you know, he was just uh, enthusiastic and uh, overwhelmed with uh, appreciation and awe. And we see this throughout the African community uh, by people who may not necessarily know the specific history of uh, that flag, but not just the flag, this whole project that they see, uh, but they recognize the Garvey-esque nature of it, even if they may not be able to uh, name Garvey, uh, but they know that this is our flag. This is the flag of African people. And this Black Power Blueprint project is bringing uh, a mission uh, to unify and consolidate African people under our own government. And they can recognize that on different levels. So that's uh, one aspect of it. And the other aspect is the Black Power Blueprint is an internationally supported uh, phenomenon. We have uh, donors, volunteers, I mean, literal volunteers from all over the world, from throughout Africa, uh, places like India, throughout the uh, Caribbean, Europe. We have volunteers and donors 
uh, all over the world. And we are creating, like Garvey, an international African economy. And the Black Power Blueprint is part of the Uhuru Movement's other institutions that span throughout the U.S., furniture stores, uh, other Uhuru House Community Centers. Um, uh, we have a thriving pie business in multiple cities. And, and, and through the leadership of people like Columbia and Annette, who is the international president of uh, the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement, we have members and forces all throughout the world. So this is, uh, the, we are the Garveyites of the 21st century. Garvey built this incredible movement of up to 11 million people uh, with uh, businesses, uh, factories, and shipping, a shipping line that went to Cuba and throughout uh, Central America and uh, inspired and had and organized people all over the planet uh, including uh, Cuba and South Africa and throughout the entire African world. He uh, united people into a single organization uh, with an international economy that was designed to contend with the economy of the capitalist, you know, of a whole imperialist system uh, that was dominated by Europe um, throughout the world. And he wanted to, he recognized that uh, African people were a dispersed nation of people that uh, irrespective of whatever, wherever we landed, you know, uh, from these slave ships, uh, whatever colonial borders were placed around us, that we represented one African nation and that we had to unify and consolidate African people under a single organization, a single leadership, a single government. And that's what he was doing. And that's what we're doing today. When we say one Africa, one nation, we want to complete that revolution that Garvey started to contend with the whole social system. Capitalism was created, you know, as a world economy and African people were dispersed all over the world as part of the process of capitalism consolidating its power uh, through the domination of a whole world economy. And we recognize that you cannot uh, overturn capitalism in one uh, of the ter in one territory. So. We are not Haitians, we're African. We are not uh, Black Americans, we're African. And Garvey created the prototype for that. And the 1920 convention uh, was especially historic because between 25,000 and 50,000 people uh, attended. And there's a large disparity in the number because people, uh, they packed uh, Madison Square Garden. People had to actually go outside uh, to participate outside of Madison Square Garden. Uh, they created this incredibly democratic process uh, where the leadership, the new essentially president of the African nation uh, was chosen through a democratic process. And that was uh, Marcus Garvey. He created this international uh, um, government for African people, even though he was an African away from Africa, which was dominated by the African petty bourgeoisie working on behalf of the colonial powers, he uh, went around, he circumvented that process and created an international government that could contend with the petty bourgeoisie uh, managed government, uh, governments throughout Africa. So we want to complete that struggle. We're creating an international African economy uh, under the banner of the red, black, and green. Uh, one Africa, one nation, we say. And we say, uh, like Garvey, uh, who didn't necessarily have the level of clarity that we have, that this struggle must be led 
uh, by the African working class or by an organization that represents the interests of the African working class. So that's what the Black Power Blueprint is. The work that we do concentrated here in St. Louis is part of a whole international struggle for unification and consolidation of Africa and African people all over the planet. And the last thing I want to say about that is Garvey, this, this 1920 convention was so significant, they created this uh, document, this charter. And uh, one of the things, for example, that they said was that uh, no African could participate in the uh, govern in the military of any foreign government. Uh, that meant irrespective of wherever you live and under what colonial power you lived, uh, you cannot uh, participate in the military of that colonial economy. So if I live in the U.S., I cannot join the U.S. military. I can only join the military of the African nation led by Marcus Garvey and the United Negro Improvement Association. It was truly an international economy, uh, an international government led by uh, African workers and peasants that was designed to challenge uh, white power uh, all over the planet. Kalambayi, can you also briefly talk about the significance of the flag to the community and the work you've been doing in St. Louis? Uhuru, yeah. Um, I really, really love, you know, that red, black, and green flag and, you know, that symbol and what it has done. It has really, like, we have people to stop and, um, you know, hunk at the flag, you know, pull over and take pictures of themselves with the flag. Um, we have bus drivers with full of all African children's on the bus that pull over so the kids can, you know, marvel at the red, black, and green flag. And um, we also had um, the Black Power Blueprint um, had a campaign, um, a flag, you know, the flag war campaign where we um, sold flags to put on our houses, you know what I'm saying? And uh, went in the community to purchase a flag and put it on your house. And this has, this, this was an amazing um, campaign, you know, with that red, black and green flag and educating the people, like why that flag is significant and important. And right now, the International People Democratic Uhuru Movement, we have been having block rallies us, um, where we going, you know, um, from the Uhuru House, 10 blocks one way, 10 blocks the other way. And we having rallies right on the block. And for in St. Louis, where we have have been named, um, I think, uh, the na- the murder capital for uh, for a while now. You know, um, the horizontal violence um, is a real issue. And so one of the one of the things is this flag has been um, the the way that we have been able to go into these communities and talk to the gang members to say, cease fire, save the bullets for the real war. Um, And they understand it and recognize, you know, who we were of appreciation, like Tachara said, you know, comrades have joined the organization and volunteering in the organization and right now are engaged in getting um, numbers of the gang um, leaders to sign a peace treaty um, saying that the red, black and green is the flag that trumps all flags. And so this has been real powerful, like just to be a part of, to participate and see it. And, you know, like we're talking about lives changing, like literally that flag have helped, like, you know, like literally I have seen guns up, you hear me? Like I literally have seen guns drawn and through the, you know, political education of the African and Nationalist 
understanding the core contradiction is colonialism and why we are all angry and upset, even of a parking spot in your neighborhood and just breaking it down, like have really helped the guns come down, you know what I'm saying? Um, and be put back. And it's a lot, lot, a lot of more work that we have to do, but, um, that was um, very important for us to raise that red, black, and green flag. And the, you know, um, and just like Shachara just said, this is a testimony from one of the people that is in a game that said, I wish that flag had been there, you know, but he understood that, you know, the teachings of Marcus Garvey um, and has studied it and getting a deeper understanding of African internationalists. And he, hear, he hears for the first time in his life, a theory that speaks to his interests that don't say you did this to yourself and you just made a whole bunch of bad choices. That flag is so important. And it's something that we have to take to everywhere African people are to raise the flag, to put it on your house, to talk about what that red, black, and green flag is. Because when people hear it and they see it for the first time in their life, they've been looking for answers to figure out how they how do they fit into this? They knew they weren't no African-American. They knew they didn't want to be a Negro. They knew they were more than just a Jamaican, you know what I'm saying? But it really helps to really tie our struggle together as one people. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our show today is entitled Black Power and the Struggle Against Gentrification. Our guests today are two St. Louis residents, Tichara Masimba of the Black Power Blueprint, and Kalambayi Andanet, international president of the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement. So Tichara, how was the Black Power Blueprint able to acquire the land and properties that you've been transforming into community resources? We did it by going to the people and uh, getting, you know, mostly very small donations, uh, one event at a time, you know, um, when... We would, uh, for example, host uh, monthly uh, web shows where we really uh, talk about the critical questions that are responsible for the uh, exploitation of the African community and talk about what the Black Power Blueprint is doing to combat those. And so those web shows would allow us to really organize the people around a better understanding of our conditions, but also to raise money, you know, $5, $10, $25 at a time. And uh, so we purchased uh, some of the properties from private owners, and then we purchased some of the properties from the LRA. But that was our primary uh, method of um, being able to purchase the properties, just winning donations and uh, utilizing volunteers as well to be able to renovate and provide mostly unskilled labor to uh, develop the uh, renovation projects. What is the LRA? The LRA is the Land Reutilization Authority, uh, which uh, came into existence uh, right around 1974, um, around the same time that the Team 4 plan was put out and the uh, Rand Corporation uh, plan was put forth that was designed to ensure that the African community uh, would be uh, forced or uh, incentivized to leave and really forced out of the African community is, is a better way of putting it. So the LRA then would function as the uh, agency that would then hold the land. It would bank the land that African people would be forced to lose over decades and just hold that land for a long period of time uh, until such time that enough of the land had been transferred from 
uh, African families, you know, your grandmother, et cetera. She loses her house uh, for a number of different reasons, including, uh, you know, policies that, are, you know, force her to, that enforce, you know, high code standards or whatnot. Um, because she can't afford the uh, property taxes on it, but uh, and because you know there is no economy to even have give her uh, the economy, you know the, the wages, the salary, the uh, income to be able to keep it. So you drain the community of this e- of an economy. You force the people to lose their assets, and then uh, the land reutilization becomes a land bank of sorts to hold on to the property over year, many many years, and then when uh, large swaths of land have been uh, lost and turned over to the LRA, they can then take this land and give it away uh, for almost nothing to white developers, uh, such as Paul McKee, who was given 24, 64 properties, and such as the land, uh, the NGA, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, which uh, was given a thousand acres of land. So you turn it over to these white developers and you facilitate gentrification. You facilitate uh, replacing an African community with a white community uh, focused around a military economy. Thanks for that. T'Chara, you held a press conference on the site of the Black Power Blueprint earlier this week, where you charged that the Land Reutilization Authority and the local alderman, John Collins Muhammad, are working together to block further progress of these projects. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So um, we've uh, had this uh, ongoing struggle with uh, John Collins Muhammad, who is the older person of the 21st Ward, the ward where most of the Black Power Blueprint projects are. And uh, John Collins Muhammad is an older person that works for white developers. He works for Paul McKee, uh, who I just... Uh, uh, explain, uh, got 64 properties from the LRA. Uh, he, Muhammad is on record saying that, uh, you know, proving humongous two and a half million dollar tax breaks uh, for Paul McKee, who actually uh, hired a lawyer to draft special legislation, like his own designer legislation, to allow him special kinds of tax breaks. Uh, for the property that he uh, was virtually given by the LRA. And Muhammad is on record saying that uh, he supports McKee and that uh, McKee represents real economic development for disenfranchised communities. So, you know, he is in the pockets of the white developers. He would like nothing more to take advantage of the rising property values um, that will result from gentrification. And so he uh, would not approve a letter of support uh, to the to give to the LRA to allow us to purpose purchase two additional properties, and so we're telling him to get out of the way. We're telling the LRA to get out of the way and turn over the properties to the black community. Kalambai, what has been the community's response to the Black Power Blueprint and to this struggle over future development in North St. Louis? Yes, you know the support has been crazy. You know um, we have dropped this flyer all over and um everybody is in unit you know unity of this the um the scandal and they know about the scandal like they've been knowing for this is not the first time paul mckee has got these special privileges and wiped out a whole community and so you know the you know the support has been there like the people are rallying they are calling they are making the phone calls 
they are forcing um, uh, the people to respond, you know, um, to like, what are you going to say about this? And they, they can't even make a principal struggle um, about what is happening. And so the Black Power Blueprint and what we are doing is bringing people back into political life and we are putting Black power on the agenda. The African working class is here to speak for itself. It has a vehicle, it has theory, and it has an analysis and it has a strategy to seize and take power for ourselves. And we will fight back and we will fight anyone that get in our way. T'Challa, if people want to get involved with the Black Power Blueprint, how can they reach you? They can reach us online at blackpowerblueprint.org. They can go uh, and reach us on Facebook under Black Power Blueprint, and they'll see uh, Jath Construction demolishing uh, the two properties uh, that we are current. The Black Power Blueprint is currently demolishing. Columbai, I want to ask you the same question: If people want to get involved with the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement, how can they reach you? So, yes, you can go to epidum.org and um, that's our website. You can leave a question or comment. Um, you can go there. Or if you're on Facebook, you can go to the International People Democratic Uhuru Facebook page um, and you can leave an inbox and someone would get back with you. Um, we want you to get involved in the International People Democratic Uhuru movement. If you're in St. Louis or if you're not, wherever you are, I know that it's a situation and everything that you heard today in this show probably sound very similar to what you're going through where you are, but you're not alone, but we have to start somewhere. And at one point it was one person here in St. Louis and now we have branches. So don't be afraid if you just by yourself, you will come into an organization that is international to be able to help guide you and teach you what you need to know about organizing in your community but we cannot continue to be complacent and sit quietly and just murmur and complain about the struggle that we engaged in. We have to get involved. We have to stand up and fight back. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our show today is entitled Black Power and the Struggle Against Gentrification. Our guests today are two St. Louis residents, T'Chara Masimba of the Black Power Blueprint, and Kalambayi Andinette, International President of the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement. WBPU is a project of the African People's Education and Defense Fund, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to defend the human and civil rights of the African community and address the grave disparities faced by African people in education, healthcare, and economic development. For more information on the African People's Education and Defense Fund, visit apedf.org. Episodes of the People's War Radio Show are available on the Black Power Talks podcast on wubp.podbean.com. For updates and resources to fight the coronavirus or to volunteer with Project Black Ankh, visit developmentforafrica.org. We'd like to thank our guests, Tacharma Simba and Kalambayi Andanette for joining us today. We would also like to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. Horizontal violence, that's colonial virus. State violence, that's colonial virus. Gentrification, that's colonial virus. 
mass incarceration, that's colonial virus. Deportation, that's colonial virus. The need for constant inebriation, y'all, that's colonial virus. Attacks on black women, that's colonial virus. Attacks on black men, that's colonial virus. Attacks on black children, that's colonial virus. We can't take no more of this colonial virus. We say down with the colonial virus. 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 Down with the town 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 with the